Over these next three weeks, we're going to talk about how our lives are filled with being on a treasure hunt. That you and I are constantly looking and running after things. If we get tangled up in the things of this world as if the things of this world can provide for us contentment and joy and satisfaction. And we are on this constant treasure hunt. Whether that is for children who run after toys or friendships or, or the older you get when you run after possessions and keepsakes, houses and cars, children and family, time and rest, and the list goes on and on of the things that, that you and I run after that we feel will bring us happiness, joy, contentment, value for our lives. But what we end up finding out and the struggle that we see is that when we are on this treasure hunt, when we receive the thing that we are running after at the end of the rainbow, uh, we find out it is either A, not as big, it's not as big of a pot of gold as we first thought it would be, and so we need more of it and more of it and more of it to be satisfied, or we receive it, but then in order to continue to be content and happy and satisfied, we need something bigger or better or more. And as we are on this treasure hunt in our life, maybe, just maybe, the treasure that you and I are running after to bring satisfaction and contentment is one that we've had right next to us all along. So over these next three weeks, we're going to talk about three principles that if we understand these three principles will bring us greater contentment and joy during this treasure hunt of our life. And while we're going to engage generosity in the midst of that, I believe this is a bigger conversation than just generosity, but it's an understanding of how we live in the midst of, of the kingdom that God has granted to us and in the midst of this world as we look forward to the world that God has stored up for us in the kingdom of God. In fact, as I, I preach on generosity over these next three weeks, one of the great blessings in preaching on generosity is, uh, you maybe have noticed this, but we're in a, a much stronger generosity of financial position than we were when I talked about this in December. And you as God's people have responded generously. And so during this series, my goal is to continue to encourage you to encourage you to keep going, to encourage you to take the next step, to remind you of the importance of this and remind you that generosity is a mark of discipleship just as any other mark of discipleship. It is a picture of what God's people should be just like worship and prayer and Bible study and service and witness. They are all the same wrapped up into one picture of what it means to be a disciple. So the question I want to engage today as we begin this conversation is, why is it so hard to give our treasures away? Why is it so hard for us to give our treasures away? And if I asked you that question personally, many of you would have many different reasons, but the one answer I want to talk about today is, is some of you would say, well, I worked for it, I earned it, I, I've given my life to it since I own it, it's mine. And that's why I don't like to give my treasure away. Like if I own it, why should I give what I owned and worked for away if it's mine? Jesus talks about this, and if you were listening to our gospel lesson, in Matthew chapter 6, listen to these words again. Jesus said this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. He uses these words, he says, do not lay up for yourselves. Or another way to say it is, is don't pile up for yourselves. Don't create these big piles of stuff. Or don't, don't collect for yourselves. And we know what it means to collect things because some of you collect all sorts of things. Some of you, uh, when you were younger, you collected baseball cards. Or some of you right now collect shoes. Or you collect clothing. Or you collect uh, little trinkets. Some of you collect spoons when you go and travel. Uh, you collect stamps. You collect coins. You collect all sorts of things. Uh, the thing that I collect, and uh, some of you probably maybe do this too, is, is I collect fun, crazy, colorful socks that I like to wear. So, so in fact, I have a pair on right now, and I show that at 8 o'clock. So these are my uh, Green Lantern pair of socks, and so I love wearing superhero socks. So some of you are like, wow, you are really nerdy, Pastor. Like, okay, fine, whatever, I don't care. I am nerdy in my, yeah, so I'll admit it. And, uh, but I love wearing these crazy colorful socks. But the fact is, is the more I wear those socks, what happens to them? They wear out, exactly, I heard that somewhere. They wear out. The more you wear your shoes that you collect, what happens to them? They wear out. The more that you would handle baseball cards, if you collected baseball cards, you bend the edges, you crease them, you change them, right? Like the more the, 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 the stuff of this world gets used, what happens to it is it breaks down, it gets destroyed, it becomes useless. Moth and rust destroy it. This is what Jesus was talking about. He is saying, you can collect all sorts of things, but none of these things are actually gonna last. Well, how many of you remember the first car you ever bought? I don't remember the first car you ever bought. First car I ever bought, if my computer was working, I was gonna show you it, was a, a dark blue 1995 two-door Chevy Cavalier that had about 50,000 miles on it. So uh, my parents gave me $1,000 for it. I think I paid the other 3,000 for whatever that was, $1,000 for this vehicle. And I bought this vehicle and I loved this vehicle because that vehicle was mine. Did you love that word? Like, that's mine. Like, I didn't have to ask mom and dad anymore, hey, can I borrow the keys to the car? Can I go out? Can I, you know, and then mom and dad go, no, we have to go grocery shopping, or no, we have to take your, our, your other siblings to this event. Like, it was my vehicle that I could drive as I wanted to drive it, until you learn you have to pay for the insurance and the gas and all of the things that go with it. But you love that, right? Like, it's mine. We love that word. Well, one of the problems with things that become yours is oftentimes we begin to realize the things that you own begin to own you. The things that you own begin to have power and control over your emotions, over your finances, over your life. Is you have to pay for them and protect them and keep them and value them and watch over them. And the things you own begin to own you. There's a story told about the kings of Siam. The kings of Siam are in modern-day Thailand. And uh, uh, centuries ago, as uh, they were uh, trying to rule and grow their kingdom, if they had an enemy or if they had someone even within their court that they were not pleased with and they wanted to, to control them or they wanted to have power over them or a nation they wanted to defeat, what they would actually do is they would gift to that person, uh, they would give them a white elephant. A big white elephant. In fact, if you look at the history of white elephant gifts, some of that is wrapped up in this story. So 
So they would give him this big white elephant. And the reason they would give him that is because in their culture, white elephants were extremely sacred and extremely valuable. But the reason they also gave it to them is because they were extremely costly. Because of how sacred they were, that person could not turn that gift down, they couldn't neglect that gift, and they couldn't give that gift away. They had to take that gift, that white elephant, and they had to feed it and care for it and watch over it and protect it and make sure it stayed safe and healthy. And eventually, that white elephant would eat through their resources and their time and their energy and their frustration levels to the point that they would have been depleted so much so that the king of Siam could come through and just take them over because this gift that they owned began to own them. And so often, the things that we own that we say, they're mine, begin to own us because we're setting our focus and our desires on the wrong kingdom and in the wrong world. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, saying don't lay up these treasures on earth where, where moth and rust destroy, but lay up treasures in heaven where nothing can destroy it, where thieves cannot steal it, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Because what happens when we lose the things that we love and cherish and treasure? We get upset, we get distressed. What we do is we lose our contentment and we realize they own us. And this is why Jesus says right here, he says, so wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. That, that's where your contentment's going to be found. That, that's where your joy is going to be. And if it goes away, then your contentment and your joy goes away. So you want to know where your heart is? Find your treasure. Is it your children? Is it your job, career, business? Is it your home? Is it your possessions? Like, what do you value most that your heart runs after? He said, because where your treasure is, your heart will be. And God's going to ask us, so are you investing in the kingdom of God or the kingdom of me? Because many of us invest in the kingdom of me because we want what's mine. This is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. So I'd love for you to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 5, on page 913 in front of you. Acts chapter 5, we're just going to briefly look at this section, but we're also going to look at the section right before this in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 5, while you get the story of Ananias and Sapphira, to understand that story, you actually have to understand the story that comes right before that. The story, of Ananias, uh, the story of Barnabas and, and of the early church and what they looked like in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32. Notice what is said here. It says this, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Do you see what their confession was there? In fact, they, they had if you would paraphrase this, a three-word confession. I own nothing. Do you see that in the text? It says, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. I own nothing. In fact, because confession is said to be good for the soul, I think this is good for us, that maybe we just need to make that confession. Can we try that together? Let's say it together. I own nothing. I own nothing. If we really literally lived that way, think about how freeing that would be. 
I own nothing. We see how they, they didn't just confess that, but they actually lived that. Look at how they lived this out. Verse 33, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands and of houses, they sold them and they brought the proceeds of what was sold. And they laid at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as they had need. Now, here are two interesting observations here. And the first one is, it is interesting that there seems to be something present that doesn't fit. And it's verse 33, right? Like, it's almost like he inserted verse 33 because you could have gone for it, they had everything in common, to verse 34 and there was not a needy person among them. And just skip verse 33, but in the midst of this talk about how they were generous, they sold what they had, they gave to the needy, they, they, Luke records this statement, he says, and with great power the apostles gave their testimony and great grace was upon them. And you're like, like how does that fit together? Like you go from generosity to the grace and resurrection of Jesus Christ to generosity. Like, like how does that all flow together? Well, the way that that flows together is the understanding of the purpose of generosity is to make the grace and love that is found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ known to all people. Generosity is not about money. It's about ministry and the building of the kingdom of God and making Jesus known. In fact, the definition that I would say of grace is God's generosity in action. That's grace. God's generosity in action. This right here is generosity. It's God pouring out his grace in his very body and blood given and shed for you and for me as he gives everything. The baptismal font, that's God's generosity. When God pours out in water and the word the Holy Spirit upon infants and makes them his own as he names them and claims them as children of God, and that is God's grace in action, generosity. The cross is generosity. As God gives everything in his son Jesus Christ who gives his very life, his blood, and breaks his body and sheds his blood for you and for me, for the forgiveness of sins. That's what grace is. It's generosity grace in action. And so they connect the two. And then notice it says that they gave their abundance. They gave over and above everything that they had that was extra. They gave it and they laid it at the apostles' feet for the sake of ministry so that they could care for others and change lives and build the kingdom of God. Because that's what generosity is about. And he goes on, and thus Joseph, and here's the opposite side of Ananias and Sapphira, thus Joseph, who's also called by the apostles Barnabas, sold a field that belonged to him, and he brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. To, to be a part of the community meant to be generous. In fact, that was a defining characteristic. You read the scriptures, you will never see in the church someone who is pictured as a disciple of Jesus Christ, and generosity does not follow that person. Generosity is not displayed in that person. Generosity is an essential trait of a disciple. Now we see the other side. Verse, chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira, they sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourselves part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. 
When Ananias heard these words, he, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. When the young men rose, and they wrapped him up, and they carried him out, and they buried him. Do you notice here in this text, who does it say that Ananias lied to? It wasn't the community, was it? And it wasn't the apostles. Who did Ananias lie to? God. He lied to the Holy Spirit. He says, says when, you, when you withhold part of yourself, you're not withholding it just from the community. You're withholding that from God. You're withholding that from the Holy Spirit. And now, does God need their stuff? Does God need Ananias and Sapphira's stuff? Does God, is God up in heaven going, man, and the coffers are running really low this year in heaven, so I really hope people give generously because we need to kind of replenish what we got up here. No, right? God, God, does God have everything at his disposal? Absolutely. In fact, if God needed more resources, which he would never need more, but if God needed more resources, all he would do was think them into existence like he did in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, right? Like, like he created everything, he could create more stuff if he needed it. But he doesn't. The reason he calls us to generosity is because it's a reflection of our heart, because where our treasure is, there our heart will be also, and it changes our heart. It frees us. It gives us joy and contentment in the midst of this world. Now, lest we are too hard on Ananias and Sapphira right now, please understand this. They brought a gift, right? Like, they actually brought a gift. They brought generously. Because if Ananias and Sapphira are bringing this up, and they are trying to look like the community because that's probably what they were doing. I want to look like Barnabas. I want to be honored like the rest of them. So it's most likely that they brought maybe 75% of what they had sold the land for so that the people would think, oh man, look at them. They're giving just as generously as everybody else did. So they brought a generous gift. The problem wasn't their generosity. The problem wasn't what they brought in terms of bringing something. The problem was their hypocrisy. The problem was they wanted to look exactly like the rest of the community that they had given in the same degree as the rest of the community which, without actually being a part of what the rest of the community was doing. Saying, yes, I'm generous like the rest. I give everything like the rest and withholding something from God. Because notice he says, says, why did you withhold this from God? Because by withholding it from God, not only did you withhold your stuff from God, when we withhold stuff from God, we withhold part of ourselves from God as well. The problem wasn't wealth, it was ownership. This, it's mine, I can do what I want with it. I'll give you a part of it, but I need to keep some of it because, because what's mine is mine and I want to hold on to it. And Peter says, well, it, it was yours. God gave it to you. But why would you lie to the Holy Spirit and act like you are a generous person in giving everything as part of the community when, when you're not? And then Sapphira comes in and says a few hours later, she had been going about her business. She had known about the deceit, but she just didn't know about the demise, right? She knew about Ananias' de deceit. She was part of that. She didn't know about Ananias' demise. And so Peter says, says, was this the amount? And she goes, yeah, that was the amount. And he goes, really? You, you didn't just lie again to the community. You lied to God. It was an issue of ownership. I own it, I work for it, I deserve it, I have been given it, I want it. Without understanding, I own nothing. It's all his. 
God has blessed me with it, but, but it's not mine, it's his. And so what we do, though, is we live with one eye on heaven and our whole life in earth, wrapped up and tangled up in the things of this world, saying, well, I want the best of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of me. And before we can even engage generosity, you and I, we need to engage the fact that we get stuck wrapped up in this issue of ownership. Because generosity is an issue of ownership. And generosity is an act of worship. In fact, that's what Scripture would say if you would read through other passages, and we'll look at other passages on generosity, that generosity is an issue of worship because what you give to is what you worship, whether that's to your children or to your job or to your own kingdom and to your own house and to your own possessions and the kingdom of me, or you give to the kingdom of God. It's an act of worship. It's an act of discipleship. Because generosity is an essential trait of a disciple of Jesus Christ. And generosity reveals your heart because whatever you treasure, that's where your heart will be found. And so you and I, we need to make this confession that I own nothing. I don't own my family. I don't own my children. Uh, I don't own my possessions. I don't own my house. I don't own anything that I have. I own nothing. God owns nothing everything. Those six words, I believe, would change our lives. It would change our contentment. It would change our joy in this world if we would just live with this as one of our core confessions. I own nothing. God owns everything. Can we try that again? Let's say those six words together. I own nothing. God owns everything. It's His. And when we live by that and understand how much God has blessed us with, it changes everything so that we can then step into and start that journey of generosity. Or we who are already a part of that journey of generosity, we can take the next step. And I know there's all sorts of reasons why that's difficult. For some, it's like, well, well, this is hard because I have debt from college and I'm trying to pay off college. Or some, well, I have kids at home or, or my kids are about to go to college and I need to save for them in college. Or my kids are in college, I need to help them get through college. Or, or now my kids are through college, I want to help them pay off college. Or, or I'm trying to buy a house or I'm, I need to buy a car. Or, or, or now that I have my house and my car or my kids are through college, now I have to save for retirement. Or, or now that I'm retired, now I have a set income and, and I only have so much and so I really can't do it now. And if we think about it, there will never be a time that that we will not have an excuse about why we can't step into generosity. There will always be a reason. There will always be a struggle in every season of life until we admit that I own nothing and God owns everything. But in fact, there is one thing that Scripture says we own. I want you to listen to these words from 1 Peter and think about how opposite these words are to what Jesus said in Matthew. He says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has given to you, this is what you own, he has given you an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. You see how opposite that is, right? Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but this possession is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You see, when we try to build the kingdom of me, we build the kingdom filled with stuff that goes away. But when we look to the kingdom of God, our lives are filled with things that don't go away. And you and I, we need to give ownership over to the one who can care for things better than we can. 
My daughter, the other day, uh, we have this rule in our house where when, when our children go to bed, they are not allowed to take their electronics into their bedroom. And uh, the reason for that, or especially into their bed, is because um, my children have a bad habit of being way too tempted by their electronics. So they watch all sorts of dumb videos. And, uh, all, and some of you I see are laughing, so you understand what this is like. And watch all sorts of these dumb like YouTube videos or whatever videos, and they play all sorts of games. And then they keep, because we have a, a time limit that we can put on their phones, and then they keep requesting more time on the phones, like at 10 o'clock at night. I'm like, are you kidding me? You are not supposed to have that in your bed and you're requesting it? Like, why don't you just convict yourself, right? So, so, we're, we're, we, so they'll do this. And, and then so one of my daughters finally came to me and said, said Dad, here, you take my iPod because if it's in my room, I'm going to be too tempted. Like, I can't handle this. You handle it for me. And I was thinking to myself, how true is that when it comes to the things that we own? You and I need to make that confession. God, I can't handle this. You take it. It's yours. I own nothing. God, you own everything. I don't even own myself. So take me and all that I am and do with it as you please. Because in the midst of that confession, you and I will find contentment and joy, not living in the kingdom of me, but living in the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, amen.